Hello, and welcome to So It's a Show, a podcast where we attempt to keep up with Lorelai and Rory's skating, I mean, pop culture references on Gilmore Girls. I'm Kyla. And I'm Taylor. And we're not talking about figure skating. Who needs that? We're not I, Tanya, or Nancy Kerrigan anymore. Nancy Kara what now? Kerrigan. <laughs> <laughs> talking roller skating. You know, that's just, it's a new passion, and I think we're doing a really good job. Yeah. Uh, ice skating is so season one for us. So we're over season it. season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, if you want to talk Nancy and Tanya, go back and talk to the old Kyla and Taylor. But, sorry, we can't come to the phone, because we're dead. <laughs> dead tired of figure skating. I mean, roller skates, you can wear them and get anywhere faster. Why not always put them on in the morning, go out, see where they take you? Honestly, I think this is probably the environmental choice of the future. Like, let's just start roller skating again. Who needs cars? Amen. I think with it, we've learned a lot from this movie that we're, that we're covering in this episode. <laughs> oh, we've learned a lot. Because this movie was... <laughs> A lot. (laughs) (laughs) A trip. I'm so excited to talk about it. Nutso, we're going to get in it fast, so let's just... What episode are we even talking about in Gilmore Girls? Let's get through it so we can get to the insanity that is Xanadu. Insanity? (laughs) (laughs) Not a good pun. All right. (laughs) The episode we're talking about today is Gilmore Girls 311, I Solemnly Swear... And the IMDb plot summary is, Emily is being sued by a maid for wrongful termination, a plot point we referenced in our episode last week, Mm -hmm. and asks Lorelai to attest to her character. Yeah. Don't know why she thought that was a great idea. Yeah, no. Francie manages to come between Paris and Rory, leaving Rory out in the cold, and Suki unwittingly sets up a date with an old friend. (laughs) Oops. This is probably the most accurate description we've had in a while that isn't also spoilery and bizarrely described. Yeah. Yeah, they cover different, all the different main plot points and got a Mm -hmm. lot of different characters with a lot going on. Yeah. Any highlights from this episode that you particularly love in this strong string of episodes of season three? I do like seeing another character after Suki because, I mean, she really, she just has one love interest, Jackson, which, I mean, he's awesome and they're awesome together. But it's fun to see another person that's been pining for her for 10 years. Her, she's she's her Daisy. Daisy. (laughs) We were like, "Uh, uh." (laughs) Uh, so I liked that. That was funny. Yes. And how flustered she gets when she figures out what has happened and how terrible mm-hmm. she feels and she makes Jackson all of his favorite foods and puts on Creedence Clearwater Revival and he walks <laughs> and he goes, this is all my favorite stuff. Oh my gosh, you cheated on me. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Like, no, not on purpose. Or I forget what she says. But... Yeah. Suki, I'm home. I got the... Surprise! What is this? I made you dinner. It smells terrific. Lamb chops with Sicilian olives, rosemary and garlic, and a warm potato and chorizo salad. I love lamb chops with Sicilian olives, rosemary and garlic, and a warm potato and chorizo salad. I know. What's that? Beef jerky. 
You made beef jerky for me. And there's cornbread and fried marshmallow pie for dessert. And you have CCR on. Well, you like CCR. I know I like CCR. You don't like CCR. Sometimes I like CCR, and tonight I like CCR. <gasps> you cheated on me! No! Oh, my God! I just flirted accidentally! Turn it off! Let me explain! Every time I hear it now, it'll remind me that my wife cheated on me! Flirted accidentally! You ruined Creighton's for me! Ah. Uh, yeah, that was funny good episode mm-hmm. oh yes but that is not the plot thread we are going to be talking about today and you might also have a question you might be saying whoa 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 back up the bread track the last episode you guys talked about was gilmore girls 309 what happened to gilmore girls 310 well friends beautiful we killed it <laughs> yeah we hate that episode we're never going to talk about <laughs> it's it the worst <laughs> just kidding If you are so inclined, if you haven't already listened, you can pop up, pop back. You can. (laughs) If you are so. What's the phrase? Um, What's the bebop back? (laughs) (laughs) If it's bebop bugging you, you can bebop back to the end of our season two, episode 47, when we covered it, as a special request from our beautiful listener, Carol. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we figured we've already talked about episode 310, That'll Do Pig, but we are continuing the thread we started there of this little conflict triangle between Francie, Rory, and Paris. That Francie. And oh my, my goodness, gosh. but here's here's the real twist in this right here, is that we're actually covering a Francie reference. And something I was thinking about as we were prepping for this episode. For someone who isn't actually in a huge run of the show, we have talked about Francie a lot on this <laughs> we podcast. Have. And I don't, like, I'm not 100% sure why or how that has happened, but mm-hmm. it has not been intentional. But Francie, if you were only listening to this podcast and never watched Gilmore Girls, you would think she's kind of a big deal. And she's so not. Yeah. She only has a few more episodes, and then she's gonzo. Yeah. Huh? Her presence is... It's undeniable, though, when when she's there. She's causing drama from day one with the Puffs, with the student body council, Mm -hmm. as senior class president, all the things. Yeah. And as she is attempting to pull off a coup d'etat for power in the (laughs) student body meeting, they have this little discussion about a blood drive. As you know, Health Week is coming up. We have speakers lined up to discuss everything from heart disease and exercise to the dangers of sun damage and fried food. Everyone's booked and ready to go. The only thing left to figure out is where to set up the sign-up table for the annual blood drive. (laughs) Jeez. What's the matter? She hates the word blood. Give me a heart attack. Just keep your hands on your ears. Tell me when it's over. As I was saying before the freak out, we need to figure out where to place the sign-up table for the blood drive. I can still hear her. Hum to yourself. Continue, please. I'm proposing putting it in the cafeteria. It's got easy access, maximum exposure, and almost 90% of the student body visits the cafeteria every day. It's the perfect location. Well, no. 
Excuse me? You can't set up in the cafeteria. It's a fire hazard. It is? Yes, it's a fire hazard. You'll have to find another place. You're kidding. I never kid about fire safety. Well, Rory, I actually know the fire codes for the cafeteria, and as long as we don't cram more than 300 people in there, we can start an opium den and the fire department wouldn't care. A, Francie, I think they would care. And B, I'm not talking about numbers. You set up that table, get people thinking about blood, someone smells smoke, and the next thing you know, 50 stampeding teenagers are using your body to lever open a door. I won't allow that. This is Xanadu level of insane. Way to go, Madeline and Louise, just being the classic comic relief. And I love how they just follow Paris wherever she goes, whatever club or committee she's in. They're part of two. They're on the paper with her. And they're on the student body government with her. They just do whatever she does. <laughs> Riding her coattails, hoping she'll help them get into Ivy League schools, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the real conflict here is Rory and Francie. And what in the world did you think Francie meant when she said this is Xanadu level of insane? Well, Xanadu just kind of sounds like a funny word. <laughs> So I didn't really, I did not know. Just kind of sounded like Xanadu. I don't know. I just wanted to say it over and over again. Xanadu, Xanadu. Kind of like we did in our Citizen Kane episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, Way back in the day, that was like the end of season one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Episode 16, that is, I screwed up their big Citizen Kane plans. We talked a lot about Xanadu, Xanadu, but we are mm -hmm. not talking about that Xanadu. Which, when I heard that in this episode, I think I probably thought it was the house in Citizen Kane. Hmm. And I mean, I had heard of the old Xanadu movie, but I knew nothing about it. Gotcha. So you were, you at least thought of a Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, Xanadu, spelled with an X. Yes, to clarify, X-A-N-A-D-U. A-D-U. <laughs> Spelling <laughs> aloud is hard. Yeah, I know. Xanadu is a movie. From what year? You always know the year. 1980. 1980. And man, was it 80s, but also 70s, but also everything and yet nothing? <laughs> Kyla, I don't even know where to begin yeah. with this classic motion picture. <laughs> Let's just try starting with these two short descriptions that I found as different plot summaries for the film. Oh, good. This will be helpful for me. Okay. And maybe it'll be a good jumping off point for our conversation. Okay. Here's the Amazon Prime description when you rent it. Xanadu is a look at the future and a loving remembrance of the way things were in the heyday of Hollywood. End uh, description. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. That, like, no. I know all those words, but somehow in that string, in that order, it, it, it means literally nothing to me. It... It means nothing, but it's a, it's an effort. It's a, <laughs> okay. They're trying to look at the big idea of Xanadu. I respect that. Uh-huh. Now, Turner Classic Movies, as always, was a little more helpful. 
A mythological muse helps an artist and a former big band clarinetist open a roller disco. (laughs) 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 And that is just a wonderful string of words put together that makes so much and so little sense all at the same time. (laughs) Yes, that... That is what the movie is, but the in-between is is a mystery. It's a blur, a blur of skating and electric flashing lights. lights. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, and blonde hair. Oh, my goodness. Flying all over the place. I just, yeah. I have so many feelings. Okay, so let's just start with the opening. There's a spinning earth, moon, something Uh with a plane or a spaceship going around it that made me think of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 moon. Yep. And then there's a mural on a wall. In Los Angeles. Mm Mm-hmm. And it has eight women on it. Nine women. Nine women on it. And they start... One by one, coming out of the painting and dancing, uh-huh. and that takes a while. And they are zip zap zapping all over <laughs> Los Angeles in roller skates. Yes, I mean that. Just always, yeah, always skating. But we focus on one Olivia Newton-John, uh-huh. and she is the muse that's that I don't know that is featured in this movie that <laughs> pushes the plot along that rolls well, <laughs> and you forgot one very important moment in the very beginning that oh, I also my forgot <laughs> oh my goodness what brings this mural <laughs> to life this angry but blonde guy with long flowing locks ripping apart his drawings that he hates Uh Uh-huh. That all, like, look, they're just, like, all sketches, and he just grabs it and tears Mm -hmm. it and throws it out the window. And they fly past this mural, the little shreds, and bring the mural to life. Yeah. He's a frustrated artist. Yeah. Poor guy. He, I mean, the, not that you could tell through the acting that he was happy or sad or anything, (laughs) But oh boy, he was there. He was definitely there. Yeah, and he drew things. His name is Sonny Malone. He uh-huh. works for a company that creates larger versions of record covers, so that music stores can display them in their window, which is a niche market I don't believe exists anymore. <laughs> nope. And he's a talented painter. He tried he's to quit. He's the fastest painter. <laughs> yeah. He tried to quit and make it on his own as an artist, and he's kind of come back groveling. He needs the money. Mm-hmm. And this all happens the same day that Kira, a.k.a. Olivia Newton-John, comes to life on this mural. She skates up to him on the boardwalk of Los Angeles, some beach, Kisses him and disappears. And he spends the next day searching for her because she appeared on an album cover, which somehow 
this guy is shooting this building, a photo of this building for an album cover, and she comes swooshing by, makes it into one of his shots, like his camera's able to capture her whizzing mm-hmm. by, per- crystal clear. And so he sees her on the album cover, was like, that girl kissed me, I'm going to go find her. And he finds her several times. Yes. But he also, along the way, guess who he finds? My man. (laughs) In his greatest role yet. His last role yet. Uh Gene Kelly. My man in his swan song of a performance. Playing a one-time big band clarinetist who now plays the clarinet on the beach in his spare time. Somehow became a millionaire and just playing the clarinet, and now that's just what he does. (laughs) And he wants to open a nightclub to bring back the days of the 40s when he really felt like he had a purpose and a dream. Because we know how well that works out for people when you try to open up a business that is no longer a part of society. But yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But it's his dream. And he's had realtors looking for two years to find a place. Never happy. (laughs) And he was also heartbroken in the 1940s by a woman who looks surprisingly like Olivia Newton-John. Mm-hmm. Although when he meets her presently, he just can't can't put his finger on how he might know her. Never figures it out, in fact. No, never. Mm-hmm. Even though he has photos in his living room that and Sunny, Sunny looked at. Sunny immediately makes the connection that they look the same. And yet, he somehow... That never amounts to anything. No. So Sonny comes skating into clarinet player's life, and he's like, hey, Sonny, mm-hmm. we have some nice witty banter that we, we say something, the other person laughs and is happy. <laughs> Perhaps you can find me a building. He's like, wow. And okay. Why me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Kira takes him to this old run-down building. Actually, which is where he discovered Kira one of the times. Yes. He followed her. I believe she was skating. In the building. She brings him back. And they go inside. And I guess magic. But then there's also a scene of magic. And we're maybe not sharing this in order because so much of this plot is not. Mm -hmm. Like, the order doesn't matter. No. Um, there's also a scene where at his record company building, there's this very fancy technology where you, like, stand in a booth to record a song and things will appear around you in the room. Yeah. To help inspire you while you sing. <laughs> and these Even things though include... they have very specific sets. <laughs> yeah. These things include the rooftop of an apartment building in a city skyline, lots of stars, a beach setup? What else is there? It, yeah, the beach setup included uh, blow-up trees. Mm-hmm. At one point, they start to fly on their roller skates. Yeah. Kind of like La La Land. 
<laughs> which is one of the nicest things you can say about this movie. <laughs> They're just roller skating around in there. Yeah. Falling in love, maybe hard to say, but she doesn't want him to kiss her, but... But eventually they decide they're in love. Yes, they do decide that. That's true. <laughs> but clear, yes, she's giving mixed signals for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. They decide to do construction on this auditorium. Gene Kelly, well. a.k.a. Danny McGuire, decides to have a toast of really nice champagne every week of construction. <laughs> Gosh, just what other gems in the middle of this movie am I forgetting before this really comes to a close? It gets a little plot heavy at the end. I'm trying to think. Like, uh, Tuesday is Wednesday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If your boss tells so... you it's Wednesday when it's really Tuesday, just agree to keep the job. It doesn't matter if it's true or if it's real art. Just do it. Which, I, I understand what she meant by that, but what she did not mean is for Sonny to then repeat that several <laughs> times to his boss. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. What difference does it make? I'll say it's Tuesday, he'll say it's Wednesday. It's a big deal. Tell him it's Wednesday. What does it cost? Oh, nothing. Maybe just the truth. Just go in there and agree with him. That's all he wants. You want me to say that Tuesday's Wednesday, uh -huh. right? Every day of the week. Tuesday's Wednesday. And just while we're at it, how would you describe Sonny? Played by the actor Michael Becker. Yeah, Sonny, like I said earlier, he was there. He really was. And he he looked the part. He looked like Prince Charming. He looked like the guy, the boyfriend on 13 Going on 30. Mark Russell? The hockey player? No, the hockey player. Oh, the guy she's dating, and then, yes. And uh, also, he looks kind of like a contestant who's currently on The Bachelorette. Okay. May not be by the time this episode comes out. I'm not watching, but I do have Twitter and follow enough Bachelor and Bachelorette accounts to get those notices. Got it. <laughs> He's a good-looking dude with a lot of hair you know, but it's the 70s, yeah. so that's normal. Nice, solid nose. <laughs> but he was just, like, his acting was, I mean, just no emotion. <laughs> and it's so hard because somehow he ended up with the worst dialogue in the entire film. Like, there are certain lines that he would say, and I was like, that's 100% not necessary for you to say that. Like, I knew that without you saying <laughs> yes. anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm not 100% sure how he got stuck with all of that, because everybody had a little bit of that. But, like, he had the worst. Yeah. Hello? Hey! Oh, I'm sorry. You scared the hell out of me. I'm sorry if I disturbed you. I tried to be quiet. How long have you been standing there? Just a few seconds. Should I go? Oh, no, stay. You paint beautifully. This is the first time I've cared about what I painted in a long time. That's a shame. It must be frustrating to waste your talents on things that don't really matter to you. Yeah. I met a guy the other day. He told me I should take long lunch hours. A guy? Yeah, someone I met at the beach. 
Gene Kelly, a.k.a. Danny McGuire, decides to invite Sonny Malone to be his business partner in this yes. operation that they are calling Xanadu. That is going to be a roller disco. And Which the name was also decided by Olivia Newton-John. Yes. And there's a very important scene where they're both envisioning what this roller disco will be. Actually, what this nightclub at the time, not a roller disco yet. And the song cuts back and forth between, like, 1940s big band swing, which is Gene Kelly's vision of it, and Sonny's vision of it is, like, late 70s hair metal dance club? Yeah. And there's, like, a mishmash. Yeah, and together they come at the end and combine into one. It truly is something glorious. I think so. I don't... There are many things in this film I have questions about. In fact, I would say this film raises more questions than it answers, but... (laughs) Anyway, perhaps the scene that raises the most questions is the scene where Kira tells Sunny that she's one of the nine muses of ancient Greek mythology, which she convinces him of by manipulating the words in a dictionary and making the tv talk to him yes and then she disappears in a beam of light and eventually you know sunny's sad about this because he loves her and she admits that she loves him even though she's not supposed to love anybody because she's supposed to help people like shakespeare and michelangelo and sunny (laughs) as artists (laughs) Definitely and, on the same par. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he finds her because he finds the mural. So he backs up and roller skates into the mural and ends up where? Tell us, Kyla, because I don't know. The place where Zeus and all of them live? Olympias? But kind of it looks like he's stuck, like, in the internet. <laughs> According to the 80s internet. Yeah. That's what it looked like. But anyways, what's her name was there? Kira. And she glows. She has a nice highlighter around her. And you can hear Zeus and his wife. Hera, though never named, that's what she is in... Greek mythology. Yeah. And so they talk, and he's like... I love you, Kira. I'm taking you back with me. How did you get here? No one's ever got... How did you... No one can come here. No one's ever left. And uh, Zeus is like, you cannot go. And she's like, but I I love him. I love him. What's a feeling? <laughs> um, the one funny part, though, that I did enjoy was them trying to remember what some words mean. Because it did make sense. He was like... Okay, I suppose you can go for a moment. Or is it forever? I keep forgetting. <laughs> because time means nothing to them. Uh-huh. And I forget what the other ones were, but that made me chuckle. Yes, these voices coming from on high. Mm-hmm. So they send Sunny away. And then in a single take, Olivia Newton-John sings a whole song about how she loves him. And it changes Zeus and Hera's mind. And they're like, okay, I guess you can go. Good thing, because it's Xanadu's opening night! Yeah, and she was apparently the main act. And all of her sisters, too. 
And so it begins with a hubbub of many people in wild outfits, which we also forgot about the scene. <laughs> the Gene Kelly makeover oh, my montage. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> and this is like the second part of it. So earlier in the movie, Gene Kelly's like, I don't know what I'm going to wear to Xanadu's opening night. And so the three of them go to this, like, costume store. No, no, no. They call it the Glitz and gl Glitz <laughs> store. You need to go to a the Glitz factory or something? <laughs> and he tries on outfit after outfit with everyone in the store. Popping out somebody's of, from behind closets and dressing rooms and... <laughs> and little did you know, this was foreshadowing for the big finale, where Olivia Newton-John and her eight sisters <laughs> change clothes about six times with no explanation. She goes from 70s disco queen to country song, full leopard print. Yeah, I just... I... It's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. She leaves, but then guess what? She's the waitress at <laughs> at Xanadu. Yeah. And I... then it says the end. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like so unfazed by her coming back. He was unfazed by nothing in this yeah. film. Well, yeah. Yeah, nothing nothing got to him. So that's Xanadu. As best we know, and you know what else we forgot? We forgot about the animated sequence. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's an Guys, animated I sequence just, where oh. Sunny and Kira turn into fish. Yeah. And birds and it I just did. Why? And you know what? I read that they did that because they wanted to include that song and it was just easier to incorporate it that way than to figure out how to fit it in with, like, the plot. I... Which, I mean, if if you think that fitting in a random animated sequence makes sense, <laughs> more sense than just having them sing a song, I don't know, maybe on roller skates, then that I... That says a lot, I think, about this film overall. Uh, Kyla, I'm just... I'm at a loss for all things. And I was just trying to think of, like, have I ever seen a movie like this? No. I have never seen a movie like this before. And yet, there's something about it, like... That was so... You could tell everything was thought through... What do you and mean yet, by that? Well, here's here's what it here's a the best analogy I can think of. Let's say you get invited to a really nice dinner party. Okay. And you get over there and the host says, "Okay, everybody, thanks for coming. Here's tonight's menu. For an appetizer, we're going to have banana bread. For the main course, we're going to have banana pancakes." And for dessert, we're going to have banana cream pie and banana popsicles. <laughs> and you're like, okay, 
I can tell you put a lot of thought into this. <laughs> and there is a well-structured theme. And you did all of this intentionally. But, like, also, it's bananas. <laughs> like, like, who? Like, what? And just, like, the thing, like, I just, at many points of this film, I just had this, like, giant grin of shock on my face. Like, this is a real movie. And, like, somebody greenlit this and somebody paid for this. And this is a real movie that exists in our universe. And, like, how did this get made? I mean... Yeah, I I hear you. Honestly, as I was watching the movie, I said repeatedly out loud in frustration, checking the clock, this movie is so bad. (laughs) Because, like, every time a new dance singing sequence started, I was like, how, when is this, are they done? (laughs) I mean, it was just, it just, nothing was built up or okay well at least I can find out how it ends I mean it was bad I'm like yeah it was so bad but can I tell you something else please I think I loved this movie oh my gosh how did you love it how did you say that so bad it was good it just like checked so many boxes for me Gene Kelly, musical, (laughs) way over the top, crazy fashion, actually pretty good music if you Mm -hmm. separate it from a bonkers story. (laughs) It's also a story about a creative person who's, like, trying to find their inspiration, which is a story arc I love. But Um, his inspiration then turns him into a nightclub owner? (laughs) Oh my gosh, Kyla, this movie is so bad, but I want to watch it like four more times and show it to everyone I know. I did see it actually on a list of like movies that are so bad, like they're fun to watch. Oh my gosh, this is it. And it was on a list with, oh, what was the other one? Something that we covered. Oh, right. It was, its cult following was compared to that of Valley of the Dolls. But I'm like, I loved Valley of the Dolls. It was not so bad. It was good. Was it? I mean, she did take that woman's wig and throw it down the toilet. Which is funny. And she's on, she had all the dolls in her. Dolls are pills for anyone who didn't listen to that episode. But also, this movie had Gene Kelly roller skating, which is the most bananas combination of things. Like, I, no one needed this movie. No one needed <laughs> anything in this movie. And yet someone, many people, took a lot of time to carefully and artistically make this bonkers thing This was the first movie Olivia Newton-John did after Grease. Yeah. This is the last movie Gene Kelly ever did. Like, (laughs) what in the world? Like, there is so much about this movie that is insane. Please tell me how it got made. 
well, one, I have no idea. But two, here's what I learned from Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> it's actually a remake. What? It's a remake of the Rita Hayworth film Down to Earth, which came out in 1947. And it's about the muse of dance who falls in love with a mortal. Ooh. Yeah. So kind of the same premise. Mm-hmm. No roller skating involved, as far as Aww, I know. Oh man. I know. What's the point? And it was actually originally going to be a low-budget disco roller skating film, because that was a super popular thing at the time. Roller that discos. so specific. What a time capsule, roller discos. But the budget got upped when they got Olivia Newton-John to $10 million. And then it eventually ended up at $20 million. Don't ask me how that happened. Oh, my word. Fun fact, Gene Kelly said he would only be in this movie if he didn't have to dance. He dances and roller skates through this whole dang movie. I don't know. (laughs) And this was his last dramatic role, so there you go. It did end up making back its $20 million budget. Wow. It earned $22.8 million at what? the box office. Oh, okay. So it just barely made back that budget. As you might expect, it didn't get great reviews. No? Roger Ebert said it was a mushy and limp musical fantasy, so insubstantial it keeps evaporating before our eyes. <laughs> it's one of those rare movies in which every scene seems to be the final scene. It's all ends and no beginnings, right up to the actual end, which is a cheat. And I just, that's, boy, is that accurate? I don't know how to describe this movie, but maybe that's the best way you can. They did actually use a real auditorium to film the exteriors of Xanadu. It was called Pan Pacific Auditorium. And Pan Pacific Classic. The Pan Pacific Grand Prix. Pan Pacific <laughs> Grand Championship. And this was not the interior. When you actually see interiors in the movies, those had to be built because the city of Los Angeles would not allow them to go inside and shoot it. Hmm. But it was an iconic Art Deco landmark. And sadly, it ended up burning down in the 1990s. Hmm. Yeah, so you can't go see it today. So this movie is really where the legacy of this auditorium lives on. (laughs) Don't say it. Don't say it. But where the legacy of this movie really lives on is in the music. The soundtrack went double platinum in the United States. And that's because Olivia Newton-John really, she turned these into some of her classic hits. Magic, Suddenly, and... Xanadu. Yeah, I mean, the music was pretty fun, honestly. I know. I agree. I was listening to the soundtrack on the way home, laughing Mm -hmm. and thinking, how did this movie get made? (laughs) But as you might expect, the music could not save this film. And in fact, its other legacy is something you are probably more familiar with in the legacy of Hollywood. Yeah, it um, inspired the Razzies. What? Which, you know, are the awards that happen around the same time as the Oscars to say, who is the worst in film this year? 
which our friend Melissa McCarthy was nominated for an Oscar and a Razzie in the same year, which is two different roles. Kind of Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Michael Beck, our beloved uh, Sonny Malone, was nominated for this role in Xanadu. And uh, that was his first in two of two nominations, by the oh, way. Oh, no. What was the other one? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see. I think it was that warrior movie. Megaforce, which came out in 1982. Worst supporting yeah. actor. Yeah. So he he didn't do so well in his career. <laughs> yes. Which... And good catch on his name. I think I called him Michael Becker earlier. Oh, yeah, right. it's Michael Beck. Uh, all right, Michael Beck. But guess what? Michael Beck didn't do too terribly because, Taylor, I don't know if you saw this, but guess what show he starred in three episodes of? Oh, my gosh. Was it Murder, She Wrote? Yes, it was. <laughs> I told you there is a connection in every episode of our show. Actually, that's not how I said it, but it, I'm saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so he did get to star in Murder, She Wrote, so... Good for him there. Three separate roles, different years. This mm -hmm. movie literally inspired the Razzies, you guys. That's how bad. I mean, it is just infamously terrible. Mm-hmm. And there was another movie that came out that same year. Apparently, the two of them were both so terrible, and this is the one that really ended up taking most of the awards of the Razzies, called Can't Stop the Music, a pseudo-autobiography of Disco's The Village People, directed by Nancy Walker, who plays Rhoda's mom on the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> nice. What another strange connection. A past topic. So here's what I was wondering, and I wonder this about flops when they happen. Like, mm -hmm. Do the stars of the sh of the movies, do they, like, realize that it's a flop and why it's a flop and that it should have been a flop? Because some of these movies that come out, I just think, are you so out of touch that you're, you're in? Like, what happened? So, Olivia Newton-John, not out of touch. <laughs> she knew. <laughs> and I found an interview of her from 1995. And Michael Beck, like, come, he was being interviewed, like, right before, just via, you know, phone. And then Olivia Newton-John just talks a little more about, you know, what, what this movie meant to her. Did you realize at the time when you were making it and this script rewriting was going on that things were beginning to fall apart? Well, I kind of had a clue when we arrived one morning and the director, we had had lines the night before. He came in with new lines then came in and said that nobody liked them and sent us home. I mean, it was, it was very bad. The writing was not good, the, the story had no following, and the director was writing the script as we went along. And then I asked him one day, this is the, the cruncher, I kind of got a clue from this one, I asked him um, what kind of music he liked, and he said, oh, I don't like music. I thought, well, this, this is a musical. I, I got a little worried after that one. But um, no, the storyline, the, story the music was very good. You know, John Farrow wrote the mm. music. It was fabulous and it yellow was... and, and the dancing was great. Kenny Ortega did the choreography and there was... If you look at it now, even there's stuff that's very new in it. But the dialogue was, was dire. Dire dialogue. The dire dialogue. <laughs> and the storyline didn't work either. It didn't really work. The, the idea was, was terrific. The Pictures looked good, good too. Yeah. yeah. How did you cope with this bombing? Well, actually, 
It was all right because um, I met my husband. <laughs> and so I think that kind of made up for it. He's my now husband. He wasn't then. But um, uh, I guess it was disappointing. But the music did well. The album did well. So um, I kind of satisfied myself so with that. So it wasn't a total failure? No, failure. And I got to dance with Gene Kelly. What could be better than that? Oh, what a time to be alive. Oh, I got to dance with Gene <laughs> Kelly. I'm so jealous. Uh, so she was very aware. I mean, they were writing and rewriting the script as they went. She knew it was bad, but she, you know, the album did well, and she was the main singer on it, so I'm sure she saw plenty of revenue from that. Ironically enough, though, the husband she talks about, they actually got divorced later that year that she was in on, that she was interviewed, so. okay. Interesting timing, but anyway, I thought it was just interesting to hear from her just be like, yeah, it was bad. And Gene know. Kelly almost said the same thing. He said the concept was marvelous, but it just didn't come off. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did find just just some glorious trivia that I think really encapsulates <laughs> all that we've been talking about. Are you ready for some trivia? Oh, yes. Please. So our friend Gene Kelly, speaking of... He took the part of Danny McGuire because filming was a short drive from his Beverly Hills home. Honestly, it shows. <laughs> Michael Beck didn't have to audition for the lead in this film. That Once shows. again, it shows. <laughs> John Travolta actually turned down the role of Sonny Malone. How different would this movie have been if it were John Travolta playing Sonny? I mean, it would have been better, question mark? I think it would have, because he could actually act. And it kind of would have been magic to see John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John together again after Grease. Yeah. I know, just saying. It famously received the one-sentence review, in a word, Xana don't. <laughs> Even if it didn't, I love that pun. <laughs> I love that as well. Uh... Play on words, I should say. Joel Silver uh, notoriously held one of his screenwriters to ransom for three days against his will. The son of a wouldn't deliver, he said, so I locked him in. <laughs> well, he still didn't deliver. Oh my gosh, that explains so much. <laughs> this uh, dialogue was written under duress. Yes, it was dire. Oh my gosh. Gene Kelly's character, Dan McGuire, had the same name as his character in Cover Girl from 1944. No wonder that sounded familiar! I, <laughs> like, in my head, I was like, boy, that, like, name sounds perfect for him. That's why! Okay. I knew you'd know that one. Guys, what about so this many one? better Gene Kelly movies out there. Anyway, <laughs> keep going. Uh, what about this one? The choreography in the Gene Kelly choreographed Whenever You're Away From Me is nearly identical to the choreography in the title number from For Me and My Gal from 1942, in which he starred with Judy Garland. Ooh, I need to watch that one. Yeah, I didn't, like, walk to double-check, but... Oh, seems like... I'm happy to take that one for the team. <laughs> Thanks, Tay. Yes. So basically, Gene Kelly was like, eh, it's a short drive from my house. Give me the same name as an old character, and eh, I won't have to learn new dance numbers. Sure, why not? <laughs> and just another fun fact tied in with that. So this movie is a remake of a Rita Hayworth movie. 
he starred in CoverGirl with Rita Hayworth. Which is where he was also named Danny McGuire. So it, I don't know. There just feels like a nice parallel there. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, final fun fact. The film was actually adapted into a Broadway musicale. After all of its terribleness, it was. And people were like, that seems really dumb. But actually, the musical was a satire of the movie. So uh, people liked it. Opened 2007. Nominated for several Tonys. And Ooh. included Jane Krakowski in the cast, whom you might know from 30 Rock or Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Is that the blonde chick? Uh-huh. Ah, cool. Somehow I have no trouble imagining her in that role. Yeah. And there are some slight tweaks. Apparently, in this version, the story of the musical focuses on Greek muse Cleo, who descends from Mount Olympus to Venice Beach, California, 1980, on a quest to inspire a struggling artist to achieve the greatest creation of his life, a roller disco. So in this version, <laughs> I guess Sonny's dream is a roller disco. Ah, not the right. big band clarinetist's dream. There is something else important to know about this play. Uh-huh. Someone very important to us has seen it. Can you guess Amy. who? Amy. Amy. Amy Sherman Palladino with the hats. <laughs> and Dan Palladino, though we're not <laughs> sure whether or not with a hat. They went to go see Xanadu on Broadway, and apparently they loved it so much they bid $300 for a Xanadu teddy bear at a charity auction immediately after the performance. <laughs> yes. And according to Michael Osiello, before you ask, yes, Amy was wearing one of her ginormous Dr. Seuss hats. Thank you. On brand. True. TBD on whether or not Dan Palladino was wearing a hat. <laughs> So, Amy Sherman Palladino, though, she knew about Xandu. Well, obviously, before this episode aired. But it has continued to be a part of her regular vocabulary. Because I found a couple articles where she references Xanadu. When what? talking about Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. What? So, on an article from E! News... She said that she was inspired to create Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because, because of, of Xanadu. Oh my well, gosh. No, not <laughs> all because of Xanadu. <laughs> Everything about it. I mean, there's so much roller skating in Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> it's amazing. But she like was inspired. Little Edie just there. Huh? You sounded like Little Edie just there. Sorry, keep going. Oh. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've got to get out of here. <laughs> got to get out of here. Okay, but Amy Sherman Palladino was inspired by all the stories her dad would tell her about New York City, because she grew up in elsewhere. Um, but she said, <laughs> she said it just seemed like a very exotic sort of fanciful Xanadu, like New York. People took subways. It was just crazy. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. So, like, she she continues to reference Xanadu. Like, this is legit. And then, another article. With the Writers Guild of America West. Aren't all of them West? I'm just saying. But There's also an East. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> in <laughs> last year, and the Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino were both talking about working on the Amazon Prime as opposed to working for like a network. And so the interviewer was like, there seems to be a freedom of structure and also length. All the episodes are like about the same running time, but it does vary, which I noticed. And so she asked, what is it like not having to fit your story into a one hour network time slot? ASP. Oh my gosh, it's Xanadu. It's effing Xanadu. <laughs> It's so amazing to not have to think about to not have the argument about act breaks. Because on Gilmore, the act breaks were all about selling soap. You know, you got to meet that act break so you can sell some tampons. <laughs> <laughs> so they both just went on to be like, yeah, we cut it. We get to choose our length. She says it's Xanadu being able to have whatever length she wants, which I guess it just feels like so foreign and crazy to her to be able to have that freedom. And so that is to her like Xanadu. I don't know. Maybe that'll help us as we fit this into the world of Gilmore Girls. I hope so. Honestly, we've been talking about Xanadu so long, I forgot that's what this podcast is about. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so are you ready to talk about how Xanadu fits into the world of Stars Hollow? I think I've been trapped in a dark room with electric lights and sparkly (laughs) stars and... I just got pulled out of the mural wall to be reminded what the real world is. Yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) Um, Do you have more to say on that, Taylor? I just, I've had an experience with this film. Yeah. So Xanadu is, is a, it's a place in the movie. But the movie entirely, just in and of itself, is... Is just, it's insanity. It's anything and everything. But even the, even down to the place of Xanadu within the film, I mean, they're changing costumes without missing a note. So it's also Xanadu. There's just a big X that appears on the screen. And then all of a sudden their outfits have changed. And no one seems to notice yeah. The magic I'm, that has happened. There's also a Gene Kelly makeover montage. Yeah. And let's not forget that Gene Kelly plays a man who spends his free time as a millionaire playing the clarinet on the beach. <laughs> and and tweed his, pants. And his dream is to open a roller disco. I just, I have so many questions about how in the world, like, why did Kira and the Muses decide they needed to help Sonny and Danny? They've helped Michelangelo and William Shakespeare. And and Beethoven. And Beethoven. Yes, and Beethoven. <laughs> and... I'm so confused by so many I just this movie is so it's a thing and see and I think that's the whole point what what does it mean 
And it almost feels strange to bring it back to Gilmore Girls because it is so completely unlike Gilmore Girls. And so it they just feel it feels very weird to go from talking about Xanadu to talking about Gilmore Girls. But that's that's what we're supposed to do here, isn't it? <laughs> and I just also like how is this movie something that exists in the same world that someone made Gilmore Girls? Like in 1979, they filmed this movie. And then approximately 20 years later, someone else came up with a mother-daughter TV show. And these two things happened in the same world with people alive at the same time. You know what else came out in 1979? What? Alien. Yeah! I've never talked in this high-pitched voice so often. I'm so just... I, Guys, everyone, I want all of you to watch this movie and please enjoy this bananas confection <laughs> of a dinner party and be baffled with us. Yeah. So, basically, it's crazy. Rory wasn't making sense when talking to Francie. And so that that's... I don't know if it was Xandu level of insane what she was doing. No. But, no. Sick burn by Francie. But <laughs> in actual real world level. Hmm bit of an exaggeration yeah sick burn by francie but pure hyperbole nowhere in the ballpark no there are many more bizarre conversations had on this show even yeah that are more xanadu level of insane your boobs are totally bigger than mine <laughs> that is also a conversation that happens on gilmore girls Mm-hmm. it's a little more crazy yeah so it kind of feels nice to say that, Francie, you're exaggerating. Calm down. Yeah. A little melodramatic. Honestly, this may be more a reflection of Francie than of Rory. Yeah. And maybe this tells us that secretly Francie loves Xanadu. <laughs> Honestly, I would love if that was a true fact about her. Can we make that canon? Okay. Sure. But how weird would it be if you met someone and they were like... Xander's my favorite movie. I watch it every weekend. Um, it's how I go to sleep at night. It's how I wake up in the morning. Kyla, I don't know. Give me some time. We might be there. <laughs> <laughs> because as one of the co-founders of the Razzie Awards, Mo Murphy said, the key to Xanadu is it was enjoyable in a way that was not intended. It was a failure as a film, but not necessarily as entertainment. Oh. <laughs> uh, <sighs> Boy. So, Kyla? So, Taylor? <laughs> That's our show? That's our show. Oh my gosh. What an, an exhausting turn of events. We danced, we roller skated, we sang, we jumped. We went to a mythological place. We did it. Can I share one last fun fact for you about Please. this movie and its connection to Gilmore Girls? 
One of the choreographers for this movie was Kenny Ortega, who directed several episodes of Gilmore Girls, including one of our favorites, They Shoot Gilmores, Don't They? Oh, how fitting. Yes, Kenny Ortega, great choreographer, also director of the High School Musical films. This guy is super talented. Just maybe shouldn't have used his talents in this movie. You know, to be fair, it seems like a lot of people were duped into being into this movie. Yeah. So, if you watch it, let us know. Oh my gosh, I need to talk about this with the whole world. Props to you if you do. But sign up for our Tiny Letter, guys, and we'll send you plenty of roller skating gifts. Tinyletter.com slash so it's a show. Link is in the description of this episode. You can find us on Twitter at so it's a show. Email us all your thoughts, feelings, and mysteries that you want us to solve to so it's a show at gmail.com. Uh, Zana, don't forget to do that. <laughs> Never again. I'm gonna start saying that literally all the time. Zana, don't not believe me when I say that. <laughs> Here's a teaser for our next step. <laughs> so what this time? Trying to have me deported? Oh, yeah, like I'm the one who called this meeting. I certainly didn't call this meeting. Save the act for Sundance, you little snitch. I didn't snitch, said the weak-kneed turncoat. Nixon's bad seed, daughter of Judas. Ladies, come in, please. <laughs>